Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Joe, I can't even see Joe at the moment. Anyway. I'm definitely here. Can you see me now? <laughs> hey, there you are. See, once you start speaking, you come up in the in the line for me. So you're near the top now. So that's awesome. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today, we are recording a special live Take On Board event with the fabulous Jo Smith about her research report, New Zealand Boards and Frontier Firms. She's going to share with us some lessons from the research around board composition and its strategic decision-making. So first, let me introduce Jo. Jo is an economist by training. She specialises in applied research and analysis, particularly qualitative and mixed method studies. She spent much of her career as a consultant, first at the New Zealand Institute of Economic Research and then with Sapere Research Group. She has considerable experience in program evaluation for clients in the government, private and community-based sectors and across the Pacific. Jo is now a Principal Advisor at the New Zealand Productivity Commission, where she works on major inquiries into productivity-related issues. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Jo. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. And this is also part of the joy of doing these events virtually. Not only do we have people from all over the place that we saw before, but Joe is, of course, in New Zealand. So this is a fabulous way of us getting some international speakers. So thanks, Joe. In fact, Joe, I think you are our first international speaker at one of these events. So thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm going to ask you briefly, before we delve into the report and learning those lessons about strategic decision-making... As always, I would love to hear your first experience of governance or your earliest experience of governance. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I can tell you about that. I should say at the outset, I'm I'm not a director, so I don't have the uh, expertise that all uh, you, everyone on the call has, and I'm not pretending to. I'm just relaying the wisdom from directors we spoke to. But I have been involved in a couple of boards as my daughter was growing up. My first involvement was on... New Zealand Parent Centre. I was on the national executive back in uh, the late 90s. That was the sort of governance body that predated uh, its current board. 
so my first experience of a board was a board comprised entirely of women. And we had, uh, I think, four sort of quarterly meetings off-site down in Wellington, um, and I didn't live here then, so that was very exciting for me to have a weekend away and not do any cooking and just see what a really slickly run board operation looked like. Ah, board work, hey? Interesting in oh so many ways, not the least because it gets you out of cooking. That's also a good thing. (laughs) My first board was YWCA Victoria, which was also an all-women board, and I remember then my second board... Uh, which was as the CEO of an organisation reporting to it and walking in and going, oh, God, there's men here. (laughs) It's like, of course there can be men in the boardroom. My experience was always all women. (laughs) So, Joe, we're going to have a great chat about your research and your report today. New Zealand boards and frontier firms. Can you just tell us what is a frontier firm? Sure. So, a frontier firm is one of the most productive firms in the economy. They're at the frontier of productivity. And I'm talking about productivity there in the sense of the value-added output that's able to be produced for a given set of inputs, just in very rough terms. And frontier firms are really important for the performance of the whole economy in two ways. One, through their own performance. So as they innovate and as they grow and expand, and scale up, uh, they can push out the frontier and lift productivity in that way. But they also, because they're at the leading edge themselves, other firms in the economy can learn from them. So learning about the latest technologies, best practices, that sort of thing, diffuses from what you call the frontier through the economy and lift, lift overall productivity. And just one other thing I'll say on that to end the economics lesson for the morning is that the directors we spoke to, they were on sort of uh, listed and unlisted companies, but also not-for-profits and community-based and purpose-driven organisations as well. So the perspectives that I'm going to be relaying today, um, I know a number of you work in the not-for-profit sector, so hopefully there's some some relevance uh, for those types of organisations as well. Fantastic. To be honest, I, having run, you know, some of the groups that I run and getting directors together from a range of sectors, I am always amazed at the similarity across the sectors of whether it's private, whether it's listed, whether not-for-profit, government, whatever it may be, often the issues and the challenges are very similar. So it's great to hear that, Joe. that you did the research across all of the different sectors. So, you know, as you've just mentioned, in your research, you interviewed a range of directors um, from a range of different sectors. What did you find out about what's needed in the boardroom for strategic decision-making? Well, it's interesting. One of the, probably the strongest theme that came through across the interviews, and we spoke to, we did in-depth interviews with 22 directors, was the need for diversity in the boardroom. And what they meant by that was diversity of thinking and skills and perspectives to avoid groupthink, but also to be able to spot opportunities, risks, roadblocks that you might not get when you have um, homogeneous uh, thinkers in the room. So to to get those different thinking styles, the different skills, the different perspectives, the different experience, what did you hear from boards or what's your advice around getting those different skills in the boardroom? What did you learn in that regard? So what uh, directors told us is, first of all, the types of experience or skills that you're looking for. So what they said was important was commercial experience, and this is for, you know, commercial companies, industry and domain experience, 
And if you're looking at expanding overseas, particularly international experience, and those um, types of experience in New Zealand, they're all quite thin on the ground. We've got a very small domestic market and we don't have a lot of big companies to be um, sort of recruiting those people from. So that was the types of some of the skill sets. Another important thing that they said is in terms of the types of people you're going out to look for is matching the board to the organisation and its aspirations and its strategic vision so that you get people who are going to be able to assist the company achieve its ambitions. So getting that match, um, if you've got really high growth, ambitious aspirations, you you need people with that growth DNA and the risk appetite to be able to make those big strategic decisions that'll take the organisation forward. And then in terms of where you look for people, they sort of told us looking in different places. (laughs) And so not necessarily doing the shoulder tapping. People talked about, you know, there's a tendency to sort of reach for the big names, for instance, partners and law firms. And, you know, those people can be great. But looking, taking risks and being a little more adventurous in uh, the sorts of people that you might uh, approach or take on on your board, perhaps people who haven't had a board role before, Um, perhaps some younger people to get a different perspective in that regard, but also people who've, um, they talk about people who've been through the fire, people with scars on their back, you know, again, not necessarily in a board role, um, but in sort of commercial or industry roles or whatever, including people who've been through difficult times and and business failures. So they, they were sort of saying now through guiding companies through COVID-19, having people who've been through the GFC and come out the other side is actually really important. But they said, but we don't kind of necessarily get considered for board roles because we've been through unsuccessful times, Mm. but Mm. that can help you then through other difficult times because they know what to do. Mm. Well, I'm guessing if you're looking for people who have got a risk profile at the riskier end, then if you don't have a couple of failures in your back pocket, you've probably not been risky enough. Um, Oh, there's a couple of things I want to dig into there. So you've just mentioned COVID, just in case this turns into a podcast, we are recording this on the 4th of November. I'm wondering with COVID and therefore board meetings, I'm not sure if you touched on this with with the people you spoke to, but with board meetings more now happening virtually, we can do this event today with you in New Zealand and most of us here in Australia, no problem at all, which of course, for this sort of event, opens up the pool of speakers that we can have. So I'm wondering if you touched on that in any of the interviews around COVID leading to more virtual meetings and therefore that opening up the pool and whether there was any lessons there for people. That certainly came up. And so for the New Zealand context, we have an extraordinary large diaspora of Kiwis around the world. It's one of the largest in the OECD. And so people were talking about the opportunity to be able to connect with either New Zealanders who are returning home and bringing that international experience and different perspectives, but also people who are still overseas, that it is just now we're all we're all used to Zoom, it's become quite normalised, that it might be a little easier to connect with people overseas and be using them in governance roles. And even from regional areas as well. Again, Lisa and I were reflecting while people were in the breakout rooms introducing themselves that, you know, there's people here from Yarrawonga, from Bendigo, from Mornington Peninsula, a range of different regional areas. So it might also just not be the city-centric and just getting beyond that as well. And relatedly, um, they talked about 
as they're working with their firms through the crisis and with the use of digital technologies, being able to have more frequent interactions and that being necessary, you know, when you're working through a crisis as that things like Zoom can facilitate much more sort of real-time conversations and they quite valued that and some were reflecting actually maybe we could have more sort of real-time communications anyway because they were quite valuable. Drawing on that thread, was there other, I mean, Zoom, which is what we are using today, other forms of video conference is now pretty common. Was there other real-time forms of communication that they talked about? Like a director's now setting up WhatsApp groups or signal groups. Is there other forms of real-time communication that they talked about? We didn't hear about that, but, you know, there it does open up avenues for reporting, you know, in terms of your board packs and your board papers, you mm. know, um, being able to connect into your, your document management systems, your data, and being able to provide things more ready access rather than the sort of formal board pack. To hark back to what you were talking about earlier around those diverse skills in the boardroom or the diverse experience, we talked about experience and about skills. It sounds like there was, you know, some of that is things like you want the different skill set, you want lawyers and accountants and all of the different kind of technical skills and you touched on some of it around some of the experiences. So maybe some of the more kind of inherent diversity skills around age or gender or whatever it may be. Again, did directors touch on both sides of that coin? That is the technical skills versus the more inherent experiences or attributes that people have and how to draw out on both sides of that coin? Oh, yes, they did. And so on the on the technical skills, particularly on, you know, the sort of the financial management, your sort of lawyers, accounting background, that that's really important for preserving value and all your, your, due, your due diligence and your compliance requirements. But you also need a balance with people who can drive the strategy and that strategic vision and, and the risk taking of, of the organisation. And uh, one person described that uh, subgroup of the board is the inner board. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so if you have too many people looking after the compliance side of things, that can crowd out the more strategic conversations. Yeah, absolutely. I do. And I say this as a lawyer myself. I think it's important to have finance on the board, but can you imagine if everybody in the boardroom was a bean counter and the sorts of decisions that would be made or if everyone in the boardroom was a lawyer or everybody was an engineer or whatever it may be? Exactly. So you you clearly need a balance and and a mix. And then in terms of other sort of specialist skills, I guess people told us that what's more important is just people with that sort of broad commercial acumen who can just generally make good decisions and provide good input rather than being too specialised and too niche Um, and sort of a sense of you know, if you've got a really good management team, then you shouldn't be trying to compensate for sort of niche skills at the board level. And mm-hmm. indeed, you might be able to just pull in sort of external experts when when you need some really specialist skills, but you're yeah, not going too, too niche um, within the board. Uh, at one of the boards I'm on, we've had a similar conversation recently around what are the skills that we need and then where do we need to get those skills? Is it at the committee level? Is it bringing in specialists? Is it in the boardroom? Is it through the board getting their own professional development, whatever it may be? And it's interesting there, you've just touched on, you know, management has a lot of deep skills around this. 
In the interviews, what, did you hear much around keeping that divide between operational versus governance and what that meant for frontier firms? The way we asked that is we asked our directors whether the board's role changes through a firm's life cycle. Um, and uh, they said, yes, it does. You know, in the sort of startup phase, if it has a formal board, um, are more likely to be uh, sort of hands-on and really helping to support management and really quite highly involved in, in the sort of day-to-day. But then as the company matures, you get, you know, a full management sort of suite in there. Uh, then the board shifts to, one person described it as a critical friend. You need to be providing challenge, sort of helping lift the eyes of management. So um, management they sort of they can be a little bit down in, in the weeds in the operational business, and that's fine. But the, the board needs to be seeing round corners and seeing what management doesn't see and sort of seeing what's not in the board papers and providing that that challenge to get really rigorous decision making. Mm, I love that phrase, seeing around corners. Yeah, sounds so simple. Anyway, part, part of the practice of us all to do it. Um, yeah, and as Cindy said over in the chat, a critical friend, absolutely. So I'm wondering, you, you spoke to so many directors, were there any stories in particular that stood out for you? Um, well, there was, there was one that I just found quite intriguing. So we asked them, you know, what's the role of the board? And a quite strong theme was the most important decision is appointing the CEO. You've got to get that right. You know, you get the right person and everything's possible, the wrong person and even good things are impossible. And then by the same token, if you don't have the right person in that role, then it's the job of the board to move them out. And we said, that's a really difficult conversation. How do you how do you have that conversation? And um, one woman we spoke to, she said, well, this is where the soft skills come in. And so how do you do it? And she said, well, I sat them down with the CEO who just who just wasn't right for the company, right? It was just just the wrong fit. And she said, so I just laid out, here's the skill set we need. Here's your strengths. And they saw the gap and they realized they needed to go. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so she said it was a difficult conversation, but it had to be done. And if you're not a, you're not prepared to have those conversations, she said you should pack your bags and go. I think that is absolutely, yeah, great story to share. It is a key role for boards is getting that right CEO to lead the organisation. And if you haven't, then that's you need to make sure that um, whether it's professional development or moving them on, that you can get that right, right leadership within the organisation. Is there a question I should have asked you that I haven't? I guess just the one other thing and that we, we the commission was really interested in is doing the research is around how boards can help uh, the strategic decision-making process. And so a couple of things came up on that is how boards can really add value to that. One is taking um, a long-term horizon. So particularly if you're supporting experimentation and innovation, those are endeavours that have a really long runway and need patience (laughs) and along with that is uh, tolerance of failure and that's a delicate balance because uh, you need to be sufficiently tolerant that you don't curtail projects that are that are going to uh, get there in the end but Mm. you also need to shut down clearly unsuccessful projects so there's that balance but the 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 long-term investment horizon and that appetite for risk um, appropriately matched to the organization So I think what we will do now, folks, is we're going to leave it there, which is not leaving the conversation there, but this is where you get to help out. 
you are going to have a chat about what you've just heard and then we are going to come back and ask some of those questions. Welcome back, everybody. I can see I love watching Slido as you're doing that. So Joe and I were keeping an eye on things there. It is fantastic to see. So it's the question about the diversity dividend. Go for it. I found that the argument that the company would be more effective or, as Joe called it, like make better decisions, which they called the diversity dividend, was a stronger argument than the human rights argument. So I'd just like to hear that, that meaning that it's just absolutely right that the a board should be 50% women, for example, apart from other things, because we're not really that diverse or not, not a feature of diversity. Just to put women on seems a very strange concept to me. The human rights argument doesn't seem to wash with lots of board members, was my experience, but the diversity dividend caught the eye of some people, particularly if they had a, like an MBA background. Joe, over to you. The people we spoke with didn't call it the diversity dividend per se. It was just such a strong theme that it was just the right thing to do because it's what's needed for the organisation to make the best decisions. And in fact, a number of people pointed out it's not about having quotas and that sort of approach to it. It's you need the diversity um, to get to get those right conversations happening and and the robustness of the decision making. Yeah, there's some comments coming over. There's a stack of research about this. Yeah, and we dove into the literature a little bit, and so there's a bit on that in our report, is that um, they distinguish between observable characteristics such as gender and culture and ethnicity and age versus the unobservable characteristics, which is the diversity of perspectives and thinking and experience and um, sort of uh, what... The conclusion is that you can use those observable characteristics, such as gender, as a way of getting the diversity of thinking, which is what you're really after. I'm an aspiring board member, so I'm not currently on a board. So my question is, um, speaking as someone who comes from a bank that crashed in the GFC, not in Australia, how do you positively sell those scars? Because to be honest, when I moved to Australia, it was seen as more of a negative than a positive. Whereas I actually think there are some positives you can take from it, but I'm not sure other people see that. Yeah, sure, I can um, understand that. It's partly about match to the organisation or the company and what they're looking for in terms of, you know, experience and skills. But also, and this relates to some of the other questions around how do you see round corners? And that's about um, developing dynamic capabilities and the Productivity Commission we commissioned a, a companion report to um, the study I did um, around uh, dynamic capabilities and boards and the value that brings to companies. Because if you've been through something before, you can you have the experience to see and to look for and to answer somebody else's question as well, what's, what's missing from the board papers because you've been through it before and you know um, what to be looking out for. I am an aspiring board member. I don't sit on a board at the moment, but my work is all around helping people have strategic conversations about climate change and develop long-term strategies. So I think in that long-term space and how to have strategic conversations. So I really like the idea of creating diversity in the boardroom through backgrounds and representation um, and skills. How do frontier firms, did you talk at all about how they actually create that culture of high quality strategic conversations in the boardroom? that then lead to high quality decision making. 
Yeah, so directors talked about a number of things. They talked about how critically important getting the right person in as the chair and the role of the chair is in being able to facilitate the discussions, keep the discussions at the right level and manage diversity of thought to come to a decision. So that was one thing. There was a carving out the time to have the strategic conversations, potentially getting in a, in a facilitator to run those sessions. And someone talked about the halo effect of having one good session like that can sort of create a, a halo effect to show the, the value of that. And you keep getting the dividend of that ongoing. And then a couple of more practical things that they suggested um, that management can do in terms of improving the quality of information that goes to the board to help them have the good conversations. One was around structuring the, um, the board papers around the key issues rather than the structure of the organisation, which might be a sort of a, a typical sort of fallback way of doing things. And also giving genuine options. So putting stuff up at the options stage to the board rather than here's a decision, can you sign it off? so that they have, they're really sort of knocking around genuine options um, through that process. Fabulous. Thanks, Joe. I, th I think it probably leads beautifully into the next question. As management, um, how do you facilitate your board having better strategic conversations? And Joe, I know you gave some good examples there. I mean, clearly it's not the role of management to guide the strategy, but how do you help your board guide you? Yeah, I mean, those were a couple of the ideas that boards had suggested. They also talked about the relationship between the chair and the CEO being um, really critical. And they described it as being close, you know, and having quite much more regular conversations than the board meetings, but also not too matey because the board still needs to be able to provide challenge to management. And that's that whole sort of critical friend, you know, being you're there to help, but also to challenge. And then one other sort of idea that uh, directors had was having the CEO take on a paid board role in another organisation just to get that experience and that understanding of board dynamics and um, what boards need. So that was just another idea. Okay, I think that's it, folks. Thank you so much for being here today. If you've got suggestions about who we might be able to have at an event or on the podcast, please feel free to get in touch. That's exactly how this event came together today. And indeed, can we just close out? What's one word that sums up the conversation that we've had today? If you can pop that over in the chat, that would be awesome. Diverse, hopeful, inspiring, excellent, inspiring again, thought-provoking. Uh, oh, gosh, and it's starting to come through. Insightful, awesome, yelled, thank you, Nicole. Uh, generous, stimulating, empowering, mindful, and so on. So, again, thank you, Joe. Magnificent to have you here today. Now I'll allow you to get on with your days and hope to see you at the next one. Thanks, folks. See ya. Bye. Thanks, Helia. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group 
where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.